I mean, it's just one of my face. <laughs> <laughs> we, yeah, we don't want to lose any good stuff. Uh, this is part two of, uh, of discussing the death penalty, um, especially in the lens of uh, the Trump administration um, carrying out 13 executions in the last six months. Record of, number. Record number. Last six months of their um, administration, and especially the push at the end um, during the transition period which uh, we kind of touched on last week, is unprecedented. So this week we have correspondent for The Greg Gutfeld Show and host of Sincerely Cat on Fox Nation, Kat Tim. Thank you so much for joining us, Kat. Hello. Hey, you guys. How are you? We're doing pretty well, you know, feeling lighthearted, talking about the death penalty. I know. It's, it's great. It's great. Things are, let's like, you know, kind of tough for everyone. So let's just talk about the death. Lean into it. Absolutely. Yeah. So whenever things get dark, I say, let's just get darker. Yeah, I agree. Like Leonard Cohen. I do want it darker. Oh, and this Uh, is extremely persuasive. I'm Brooke Rogers. That's true. I'm Mackenzie Brennan. So last week, just to recap a little bit where we left our death penalty saga, um, we went through a little bit the Eighth Amendment, which is the best argument for abolition of the death penalty under the the United States constitutional system, and that's the ban on cruel and unusual punishment. And especially as more and more states and more and more um, advanced democracies uh, get rid of the death penalty, it it's a lot more unusual. So that kind of calculus is in flux, and it's always ripe for re-examining. The current Supreme Court, as we'll get into, um, being the the entity that reviewed a lot of the Trump executions, not likely to make that change in the near future. I don't think so. No. No. <laughs> I'm gonna yeah. go. With. Hi. Yeah, I don't. Think you so. know, um, the setup setup seems so prime for some real progressive uh, decisions to be made. <laughs> Absolutely, especially given what we talked about, which is. Um, the fact that they have ultimate review of any death penalty appeals, whether they be federal or state, and they did not stay any of the the, the Trump administration's under the wire executions um, in record numbers. Right, and you know something as you know as much. I'm libertarian, right? But something that has always been, and we've talked about this before, so interesting to me is conservatives. Not all of them, but more so than Democrats, they are like hell yeah, death penalty, like that person did this. So therefore, and that you are somebody who doesn't care about crime or thinks it's Mm -hmm. fine to like you want to coddle murderers or whatever, if you're anti-death penalty. And I do think so much of the argument gets lost in like, well, this person did this, so they deserve that. Do they really not deserve that? Right. And I just think it's so interesting that so many conservatives describe themselves as small government. And of course there's, Many contradictions there sometimes in some of the pro-life too that they hold. But I think this is one of those things because you're saying you want the government to be small, 
but not so small that like it can't murder people anymore. Right. That's just never made any sense to me right. ever in my life. Um, and I think that those are, you know, even we saw in the debate stage that kept coming up. The question for whatever reason kept coming up. Like, what about the Boston, not 2016, uh, the midterms? What about the Boston bomber? Like kept mm. coming up and like people would really struggle with that answer. And for me, it's so easy to be like, yeah, no, you can't do that because the government doesn't have the it's, right to, to kill people. Right. Um, it's refocusing the argument yeah. on uh, like should because first of all, they're always going to use these poster child examples of the worst person. I think the one that we used last week was Ted Bundy. We're like, oh. yeah, obviously there are horrible people, but you've got to focus on whether the government and the legal system at large should be in the business of doing this, taking the lives of its citizens in a fallible legal system. Right. Um, yeah, I'm just like, like small L libertarian. It's just like government. I feel like in general, whenever there's a problem, I hate the impulse of people to be like, we'll do something government. Like, I understand that even yeah. as somebody who, so the way that I frame this to both Brooke and Kat beforehand is like, this will be interesting because I am somebody who tends to be more comfortable than the, than both of you two are with government intervention and mm -hmm. the legal system, having a solution for problems, if it's well tailored, um, mostly because I'm in the business of tailoring that and hoping yeah. that it, you know, idealistically that yeah. it goes well and, and having safety nets where it doesn't. Um, but I, think for I, do under, I do understand the, the dislike for the knee jerk reactions, which I would almost put in a different category, which is like governmental politician reaction to make some sort of positive headline and seem like they're doing something. Whereas there can be more substantive policy changes going on on a long-term scale. Yeah. And this is actually a perfect transition into something okay. I wanted to touch on that I, I talked about, I mentioned last week, but when we're talking about, you know, the, um, the negative effects of really heavy handed uh, legislation that could at the time mm -hmm. uh, be seen as a good move, but will have long reaching effects later. Yeah. Um, when the 1994 crime bill was passed, uh, over 80% of Americans agree with the death penalty. And now it's less than half. And so That's you can, crazy. Yeah. You can, such I, a reduction. If you look at, um, you know, the, the level of crime uh, in the 80s and 90s, especially in big cities, the 1994 crime bill was a reaction to that. But I would argue it did not understand what causes crime. And so I think it, certain provisions. Yeah. After, could, so it was taking the omnibus. Effect. Right. It was a huge bill. Um, but the and it did it did have some um, effects on reducing crime. But ultimately, I don't think that it targeted um, the 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 root causes of a lot of crime, which we've talked about so often are just, um, you know, uh, poverty and lack of access to a good education. And there's so there are so many things that cause crime um, that if you are just looking at it from a stick point of view of like we mm -hmm. like a punitive punishment point of view and not a, okay, how do we long-term um, actually uh, solve the problem of crime? The 1994 crime bill, so many of the provisions in that made sentences harsher. It uh, created mandatory minimums and expanded um, what is considered to be felony murder. And I think that ultimately uh, now we can kind of see like, okay, what happens to those bills, you know, 20, 25 years later when it's still, they're still having effects, 
But at the at the time, yeah. government stepped in and said, this is the solution. We have it. And we're going to implement these huge sweeping changes. So I think that yeah. You know, well, what happened was a lot of black guys went to prison for a really long time because they wanted a party. It's, it's like <laughs> truly like it's yeah. truly awful. I mean, like no, I love pardons because I think that like so many people are in there don't need to be. I would just immediately free like any nonviolent drug. Oh, absolutely. 100%. And like I could get and people are like even the dealers. I'm like, yeah, and, like and absolutely. I'm like, I could guarantee they would never reoffend because in my America, you could buy heroin out of the deli. But um, it's, it's the economic incentive that's there. Yeah. Like, if that's the only way you can make money at that scale, you have to look at the root cause. Like Brooke was saying, that right. there are so many economic problems. And the the one caveat that I'll put on the the crime bill as a whole is that it wasn't all punitive. There was, you know, the Violence Against Women Act came from that bill, and and so did the ban on assault weapons. It was just like a lot packed into it, and the sentencing piece has been a mess. And I think we're not only seeing it now, I think it's probably been something that has been seen for years, except that the Trump administration decided to act on it. But let's rewind a little bit. Yeah, 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 on the federal death penalty piece. Before we move forward, I think um, to explain, I think both of Kat and I's distrust of uh, certain institutions and um, mm -hmm. heavy handedness by government comes from us witnessing Oh yeah, uh, over our lifetimes, a lot of these really negative effects of that. Yeah, absolutely. That, that's absolutely true. And and you know, um, it, it's it's and, and like Mackenzie, as you brought up, that is something that allows for crime because if like drugs is a huge reason why people are in prison, and you know, like you, the only way to get drugs or be like once you're in that lifestyle, you're like stuck in that lifestyle. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, if you have like, it's so easy to get a felony if you're involved in drugs at all. And then you have a nonviolent one. You have that on your record. And then like, you don't have any career options. Like you can't vote. You can't get a job. You you have a harder time getting housing. And as we talked about before, like now we're seeing a generation of kids whose dads were sent to prison, yes. whose like parents were sent to prison Ugh. for these uh, for these crimes for you know an, an insane amount of time, decades, just the whole life, their entire childhood, their their parents weren't um, weren't there because of this. So it's like it trickles down. The problem when you when you approach crime um, with you know this iron fist, it affects whole communities and whole families, and then they don't have options either. And they're and, and whole communities are ripped apart because of this. Um, the cycle continues. It, yeah, I, before we deviate too much from the death penalty at large, because yeah. luckily, drug drug offenses and nonviolent crimes, non um, capital crimes, are no longer eligible for the death penalty mm-hmm. in this okay. country. Thank goodness. Uh, but that was not the case for a while. Uh, Brooke, do you want to talk a little bit about? We're gonna go through some famous controversial executions and big problems with them. And then we'll get into um, Trump's Hall of Fame. One of the things that I mentioned in the last episode was uh, a story that really struck me uh, that's such an obvious misuse of the death penalty and um, a miscarriage of justice that I, and I hadn't heard the story a lot. It, it was kind of the, it was mentioned a couple of times and we were talking about um, uh, Black Lives Matter uh, over the summer and fall, but it just, it really struck me as um, such like a heartbreaking case. Uh, and I think that 
as Mackenzie will um, expand on, a lot of the problems, all the reasons why the case was carried out have since been solved. But I think it really presents the um, the moral quandary of um, what can happen when the state has the ability to execute its citizens. And right. Um, Especially, you can't walk it back. If some exactly. if you do it wrong, it you can't fix it. It's you, true. You've right. taken someone's life and and that's um you can never make that right. Mm-hmm. So George Stinney uh, was a 14-year-old boy um who was convicted of uh murdering two young girls uh in South Carolina, not a state that's known for its uh uh racial dynamics. <laughs> Good racial dynamics. And he was black. He was yeah, he he was a you he was a Black 14-year-old boy, um, he, the, he was tried and convicted in 1944. Um, the, the entire trial took less than a day. His, <laughs> uh, the jury deliberated for 10 minutes Jesus. Um, before yeah. they convicted. Okay. Um, to, we thought really hard about pretending. that. I not know. pretending, you know? No. You want to at least appear to give a shit, you know? Or and, not, I guess, in South Carolina in 1944. Yeah. One of the reasons why it took so little time to deliberate um, on top of the obvious, uh, the obvious like bias of the, of the jury in that, in this case was because there was so little evidence to consider. Uh, The only evidence they had against him was a, um, the arresting officer said that he confessed to him. Um, There was no record of the confession. A confession was never signed nor recorded. Um, and, uh, George Stinney himself said that he was held in a room, uh, and not given food the entire time that he, um, was overseen by the police leading up to the trial. His parents, uh, did not have access to him until after he was convicted. Um, the, the two, the two girls who were found, um, Betty Binnaker and her, uh, I believe, uh, her friend, Mary Thames. Um, they were found thing. near the yeah, homestead. Um, and uh, it, it seems pretty obvious to me that they were found near the Sinney's house and um, the police came to look at the evidence, saw two uh, young black boys and immediately said, like, we have well, our that's evidence of murder. murder. Um and if there's a dead body near your house, you probably did it. <laughs> right. That was the that was the case they had against them was uh, proximity and this, uh, this <laughs> confession, which uh, they again had no record of. Yeah, so, there's a dead body. You just look for the nearest 14 year old. There you yep, go. Exactly. Mm-hmm. There yeah. you go. George Stinney maintained his innocence until his execution. He also told a cellmate he had no idea why they were trying to kill him because he didn't do anything. Um, there again was no no real evidence. None of this none of this evidence would have stood in a court of law today. He, but George Stinney's lawyer, who was assigned to him, was actually campaigning for a uh, a local uh, public office. And so the implication being that he did not want to push too hard um, for the to, to free this um, young 14 year old because it wasn't a popular uh, stance to take at the time. So he was underrepresented. Uh, the, his lawyer chose not to appeal the case, which is astounding. He was put to death in, a, in a, an electric chair and he was so small that they had to use a Bible as a booster seat to get him to put the, uh, the cap on him that they use. It's a heartbreaking case. It's incredibly 
just it's just evil it just feels yeah. extremely it just like shows you um how valuable our um our just justice system can be and again how when even though certain problems here were fixed um he would have had now he would have had a lawyer with him uh when he was uh with the cops or would have had a right to a lawyer um there would have been well, always- rails I'll just, I'll qualify that, that he always had the right, um, but in terms of what used to qualify as custody and mm-hmm. kind of whose word you take against whose, um, I, I'm going to bet that a 14-year-old at the time was not given a lot of deference and information. And think of things like Miranda rights, um, being right. read those rights up front, and then even down to the trial process, there were a lot of, up until 1985, Um, there were some pretty significant constitutional challenges on keeping black people from serving on juries Mm -hmm. and using jury challenges to keep that. So again, if we're talking about a jury of our peers deciding if we die, if if it's all, if it's 12 white people deciding if this black boy should die for proximity to two dead white girls. um, In 1944 in South Carolina. And he, uh, was electrocuted just 83 days after his trial took place. Um, another thing that's really important to emphasize here is that obviously it was a very weak case and um, his conviction was overturned. Uh, it was vacated as it, sorry, it was vacated as an unfair trial in 2014. So oh, good. So he came back. Right. right exactly. A permanent decision was made and he will never, you can never bring him back. But now it's just like, oh, whoops. That's literally the the government's response. And right. And that is the problem. Right. And of course, obviously, now executions don't happen that quickly. Things go on for a while. But still, the criminal justice system obviously has many problems. And obviously, people get things wrong often. Mm -hmm. And just because we're talking about a different kind of punishment doesn't mean those problems are going to go away because the punishment is more severe. Um, they're all still going to be there, which is why it, it just blows my mind that not only does the government have the right to put, you know, kill people, <laughs> but like based on what track record, yeah. like, oh, absolutely. they're and not good at, at why being would we trust correct them? on this. So, you know, even aside from the fact that it's the government and just to me, that goes against my values. But also, if you just look at the track record of the criminal justice system in our government, <laughs> Yeah. Why are we letting this entity kill people? Well, yeah, the guardrails are broken. Um, And I think that even though the reason I thought the Stinney case, which I also had not heard of, even through, you know, going through law school and working in in the legal world, I had never heard of this case. But even though a lot of the problems have been fixed in terms of the the minutiae of, yeah, he was 14 and here you can't kill people until they're 16 now. So obviously they would have had to at least wait two years before having that. But, you know, um, even though a lot of these specifics have been addressed, the guardrails have not at all been fully repaired. Mm -hmm. Um, Things like right to counsel, jury selection, confrontation clause stuff, evidence of confession and the conditions under which you get somebody to confess. A lot of those things are still, and and even right to counsel. So you think about the fact that that lawyer who I guess was a public, I'm assuming public defender was also running for office. Um, Things like a conflict of interest. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. And judicial elections, those aren't, those haven't been fixed either. So and I actually have yeah. data to back up what we're saying, because 
1973, more than 170 people who have been wrongly convicted and sentenced to death have later been exonerated. <laughs> and the National Academy of Sciences uh, reports that 4.1% of defendants sentenced to death in the United States annually are innocent. So there Is that are- okay with everyone? <laughs> yeah, right, like- not cool with me. No. <laughs> if, again- That's a pretty my- high percentage. That is- Yeah, and that's what people, we that's- know of. Uh, those were absolutely yeah 170 people since 1973 and those are cases where um their sentences have been appealed enough to where that because it takes a process you have to um go through a process to be exonerated later and so those are the just the the people who fought back and so we don't know adequate counsel we'll add with good lawyers too yeah absolutely so in my opinion if even one person is unjustly put to death that proves that the state should not have uh, the ability to put its citizens to death. And it's all, it, it's been proven that that happens uh, think if way more doctor, than I would like a surgeon, Like a surgeon that was like huh. killing that many people. Good point. Like, you know, you go in to get, you know, you have a hernia or something like, you know, where you're out the same day, you go and then like, you know, more than 4% of those people aren't coming home. I think you might not have to that doctor or might yeah. not have surgery anymore. Like an outpatient but, procedure. Yeah. Less than 10% of my patients die. I'm going to go somewhere else. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I just don't. I just yeah, what's your see, death yeah. rate? What's your body count? Like the United States bo- like unjust body count is yeah. too high for me to be comfortable with them having this. That's out. actually a great point. Be- like, so medical malpractice is a civil proceeding, unless right. it's really heinous, but it's like we are so bad that we would even be disciplined in a civil proceeding for malpractice if right. our judicial system were somehow on trial itself. So that's not great. Um no. Yeah, and I think this is a beautiful transition to the Trump administration's record. So we went through last week. Um, they they managed to get in 13 executions, I believe, in mm-hmm. less than a year, which is uh, impressive. And re- we mentioned this last week, but that's that's more that that's the most in modern history of any president ex- uh, uh, yes. following through federal executions. Yeah, so so the federal executive branch only has control through the Department of Justice over federal executions. The states do their own thing, um, and in some it's better than others. But the federal government has not carried through capital punishment since 2003, so since G.W. Bush. And just looking, uh, since last week's episode, I was looking at the record of, of who's been executed, and beyond the fact that G.W. Bush's administration notoriously did like taking life gratuitously, um, we can see if we look at the list that one of those executed under the Bush administration, the second baby Bush, uh, was Timothy McVeigh. Oh, yeah. So it was a really, there were a couple, I think there were two or three under that administration, and it was a very high bar. Very like, public. Timothy McVeigh was the Oklahoma City bomber. Um, huge federal crime. No questions about guilt or uh, which, which, again, if you're anti-death penalty, doesn't justify it. But if we're putting things on a hierarchy of when we make that choice as a federal right. government, Trump is in a league of his own. Um, so he got 13 killed in six months. Uh, the last one we'll talk about shortly was... Um, I, I think a week before inauguration, uh, January 13th. So one of the last ones is a week. Of, I, I believe the, the actual last oh, one. Oh, not the last one. Uh, oh, great. That was, that was Dustin Higgs. Um, I, I think Dustin Higgs is notable because he yeah. um, ha- actually did not kill anyone. 
Uh, it was confirmed by all well, he, witnesses, including co-defendant uh, Willis Hayes, who pleaded guilty, uh, that he shot three victims, but Dustin Higgs was there. So he was involved in something where people died, but he did not directly kill anyone. I would just I'm qualify re- because, in ter- yeah, but in terms of um, what the actual because you know in trials there's always a consideration of credibility and stuff Mm -hmm. so the conviction i think was not certain about his involvement he was convicted for for murder to be yeah to be clear but um witness so i should yeah qualify that with witnesses said that he was not involved directly in the shooting um also we mentioned uh the that trump officials uh executed 13 people in six months the that was more executions than any administration um, since Grover Cleveland, who Woo! executed 16 people in 1896. So it was a long, we had a long run. <laughs> also, good to know that Grover Cleveland was the worst. Okay. I do not know that about Grover Cleveland. Although to Damn. be fair, I don't know that much about. I know Grover nothing. I know so little about Grover Cleveland, but really? now I know that. So yeah. that's I, one fact that you can go leave with today about Grover Cleveland. I just know. Yeah, I dressed as him once to go to a 90s party because he was president in the 1890s, but all I did was put a name tag on that said, I am Grover Cleveland. So I didn't even bother to learn about him at the time. Wow, yeah. and that's uh, problematic now, isn't it? Yeah. Canceled. <laughs> problematic Grover Cleveland opinions. Um, yeah, so that, I mean, that's it. incredible for him at 16, especially if you consider like the population uh, differential at the time he wanted he wanted that he wanted the gold gold trophy he wanted to stand on the top podium when it came to executions um yeah uh, that's a sub episode sometime because over cleveland yeah murder spree sexy sexy topic do we want to do we want to talk about lisa montgomery yeah sure um and kat you actually uh, given your news end basis you might have additional slash more information um So Lisa Montgomery was, I guess, not the last execution under the Trump administration. I assumed that because it was January 13th, it must have been the last because we're getting so down to the wire. But no, no, (laughs) but she was the only woman executed, uh, I believe. I believe in modern times she was because uh, she had been the only woman who was on death row at all. Um, Exactly. So that was like she, you know, and then obviously her crime, you know, was super horrific uh she had made friends on facebook under another name with this pregnant woman she was saying she was pregnant too even though she wasn't she was like telling a lot of people she was pregnant she went to the woman's house and you know cut the baby out of and stole the baby and the woman bled to death and you know it's horrible obviously because you know that's grotesque and and awful and also like the 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 baby survived and it's like you know your birthday every year i thought oh, about god that. i'm oh like my your god. birthday every year is also the anniversary of your mom like being you know cut open so like you can't like wow like, you're go right to Vegas. you know it probably feels weird maybe you do i don't know or you just go doubly hard which is yeah i, I don't know you and i How both have dead that? parents and but, so like sometimes no. you just gotta lean into the sad um, right. I, I don't know. I have yeah, no experience with they it. They said but, the baby was 16 now. Yeah. Just to add a little bit to what this poor woman went through. And I say poor woman, not at the exclusion at all of her victims. So, yeah, they uh, they call it a crime of fetal abduction. Yeah. And so this the her victim, Bobby Jo Stinnett, uh, she was 20. Bobby Jo Stinnett. And oh, okay. um, 
Uh, her baby was safely recovered and returned to her family. So, so the, she was eight months pregnant. Um, so the, the fetus obviously survived into babyhood um, and was then returned. But the, I believe Montgomery kept her for a while and said that it was her baby. Um, but like even I think the three of us were talking beforehand that this is such a loaded like a, a psychologically loaded crime. Um, and it's very uncommon, actually. The crime yeah. of fetal abduction is super, super uncommon because it's so violent, it's so weird, and it's, it, you know, it's very fringe that somebody would feel that need. And so you look at Lisa Montgomery's past, and she... She had had the just, just horrific life in every single way. Um, with As, you know, we were talking about, she'd been, you know, just actually abused forever and there's questions about whether she was actually even mentally fit to have stand trial in the first place to stand trial and to uh to stand execution so there it's kind of two separate standards that should have been well and actually were ripe for review so at the time of her execution she's 52 um but she was bipolar. She was hallucinatorily delusional. Yeah. She had been suffering from PTSD for essentially her entire life because she was physically abused with a great deal of violence when she was very, very young. Um, her stepfather also sexually abused her on top of that and had like a room in their trailer dedicated to raping and beating her. Right. So up until the moment of her execution, she thought that God was speaking to her. She heard her mother's voice abusing her um, and then eventually was denied the presence of her spiritual advisor and pastor in the execution room to just add insult to injury, I guess. Yeah. And her lawyers so, argued that she was actually confidence. born brain damaged and that she'd been experiencing mental illness her whole life and she didn't know what she was doing. And in cases... So, so on top of that, damn. Yeah, fetal abduction is actually... Um, uh, it happens more often than you'd think, but in those cases, um, it's the, the person, the, the person who, um, ends up, uh, kill, not always killing, they, the person who ends up doing the abducting, the fetal abducting, <laughs> um, they usually always think that they are pregnant. They're usually under delusions that they are. Um, they often think that it's their baby. Um, they are almost always, um, uh, delusional to some extent there are very there the, in the cases that have been documented it's almost always the same story and it does indicate um the just the, just the act itself and how whenever this takes place um it's kind of the same pattern it, that alone almost indicates that it becomes yeah. a place of mental illness and not having access to like adequate mental care and uh I, so even again like we're not taking anything away from what she did because it's a horrible crime and you know someone lost their mother and you know their family lost um their daughter and it's a horrible there's like no way to get around that and it's but it's a question of if this did this person even have the capacity to understand what they were doing and um you know we have protections against we have insanity defenses we have protections against people who are so mentally ill that they don't understand their culpability <laughs> so it's just kind of one example of uh, in, in in this like string of 13 executions why why choose this one to pursue yeah it's and weird because it's, it's not case. just us saying this like a lot of, you know there were over the years so many so many experts you know psychiatrists yeah. psychologists so many experts 
everyone who, you know, sort of like was interviewing her said the same stuff that she was delusional. Consistently. Yeah. Yeah. So I, and that's a perfect segue because, um, to get back to what I diverted myself from before, um, there are two separate standards. There's the insanity defense level, uh, which is usually, just for the guilty conviction on its face. And that's kind of, it varies state to state, but essentially what it boils down to a lot of the times is, is did you know that what you were doing was wrong? And when you look at the nature of the crime, um, if there is any crime that just on its face is close to an argument for no, this is the one. Um, Because usually you don't, you see a lot of the perpetrators not realizing that it's not their their actual child, et cetera, et cetera. There's all this loaded background. But then there's another hurdle of, are they fit to be killed for this? Yeah. Which is such a macabre kind of calculus that we make, but you have to realize what is happening to you at the time you are put to death. And actually here, three courts, three federal courts in the final hours before Montgomery was killed, um, ruled that no, she was not. And they stayed the execution and that all three of them were overturned in the final hours by uh, the Supreme Court. Supreme Court, yep. Overturning the stays and uh, giving the go ahead. So, I mean, this is something that because so much was going on in the country, um, which also begs the question of why the fuck was this a priority for the Trump administration and for the court? Uh Uh, But in any event, like, so much was going on, and yet this this was something that we pushed through. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I don't get it. <laughs> I don't know. A good thing to talk about, especially with with Kat, and I'd like to talk about it with both of you because we potentially have different takes on this. Is um, what are some solutions to? Obviously, abolition of the death penalty would be step one. Mm-hmm. Um, the the potential for that like I said at the top, is uh, it's not likely to come from the court right now, right. as we can see. Um, so it would have to come through some sort of legislative form on a federal level. Um, and that is, that's a little iffy too, but, but in a more like grassroots sense, what are some policies that we can institute to prevent criminal justice system involvement? Um, what are some potential alternatives to make people living living in a society feel a little bit more comfortable with uh, what is a step back in punishment? Because I think that for those of us who are more comfortable with capital punishment for violent crimes, um, there's a bit of apprehension about what we do to adequately deter people and punish people if we don't have that. On the deterrence aspect, I just, I don't think there's anyone out there who's ever been deterred from committing a crime, a murder, whatever, mm-hmm. because of the death penalty specifically. I just, right. I, I don't think, I mean, first of all, I've never committed a murder just because it's like not my thing, right? Like I don't want, I don't, over have, I don't have vi- a violent I, I I don't I don't have the desire to commit violence. But not something you know, generally want to partake in, but you know. For people like like there's a homicidal maniac, let's see. I don't think that or even someone who commits any kind of murder, that's gonna be like, well, 
I wouldn't want to. I, I, I was I, gonna. I wouldn't want to be put to death by the state, but like I'd be cool with being prison forever. So I think I'm gonna do it. I don't think that happens. I, I agree really with you. Don't think so. My question is more um, because I agree with you, and that's part of why I think that it's um, extraneous. And then one thing that I should reiterate with you is that there's this documentary that's great. It's called Crazy Not Insane. And I think you'd really enjoy I it. I watched it. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So like the argument that the death penalty just takes away sources of research to actually um, maybe deter in future because we can figure mm -hmm. out why people do this. Because that's more what I'm focusing on. Not like that that's a real argument, but I think in people's heads, that's a piece of like, we have to punish because this is the worst thing you can do. And so our society has to say, no, there's a, a you know, an eye for an eye kind of retribution. Right. Well, I think that it's important to, I, I said before that um, less than half of Americans now support the death penalty. Um, just to expand on that a little bit, 60% um, of Americans who were asked in a 19, or sorry, a 2019 Gallup poll uh, said that uh, life without the possibility of parole is a better, better penalty for murder um, than the death penalty. So that they, they do not support the death penalty in cases of, um, of murder and think that life without the possibility of parole is like the better option. And I think that um, if anything, that should uh, encourage representatives, both Republican and Democrat um, to, you said that, you know, the option to abolish death penalty probably won't come from SCOTUS, but it might come through mm -hmm. some kind of legislative right. push. Uh, we know Biden has publicly said he was anti-death penalty. A lot of Democrats follow suit on that. Um, so, but, the majority of Americans also agree that death penalty is not the best option. So laws can be passed um, if representatives are uh, focusing on what their constituents want. But on the deterrent side of it, it's for me, it's more about, um, you know, we, we talk about like, what is the criminal justice system for? And Again, I just think that if we're looking at it as a retributive system, we're never going to make any progress. Um, so the, the whole like making Americans more comfortable with um, punishments to uh, people who commit murder, I think that we actually just have to start having conversations that shift people's perspective of like what punishment should be. So on a gra quote unquote grassroots level, um, I think it really is about changing our cultural um, understanding of both what part the government should play and um, realizing that it is uh, inhumane for the government to put people to death. Um, right. Because it's so much a lot of people are like, well, OK, well, they deserve that. Or like, how did they not deserve that? And I think really the question would be, OK, why does the government get to decide? Like, mm -hmm. I don't think it should. Right. Yeah, I, think I think that, I mean, that that's coming back to kind of where we started at the top, that it's framing the conversation of uh, like, is, and honestly, on a moral logical level, it makes sense. Cause it's like, if we are condemning the choice to take life and that is fundamentally what we're doing here, because you cannot sentence the death penalty without that. Um, right. If we are condemning that choice and then the government is making that same call, in and of mm -hmm. itself, it, isn't that a little bit inconsistent? It's yeah, hypocritical, it, absolutely. It's quite inconsistent. 
Yeah. So um, I think that I mean, answer... let's not get into our military endeavors because that's yeah, what has exactly. been in the back of my mind the whole time is like, well, right. the government takes life all the time. Yeah, I mean, we, we are. We're talking about the death penalty when uh, when, when people are given a trial and the government, you know, the, the, US, the U.S. government can still order drone bombings where people are killed without trial every day. You person know? So, on person. I right. mean, they can have, so, I mean, that's why the international law piece comes into it too, because there are, it's tricky, but there are laws of, of war that I guess try to minimize harm there, but uh, I don't know. I don't know. We also don't follow those all the time. So I think- We don't follow I, those either. Certainly I think not. for me- the final point that I would make is just um, instead of trying to like find an alternate solution where it's like, okay, well, what do they deserve instead of death penalty? We need to start, uh, we need to start kind of um, changing people's views on this to instead of taking an eye for an eye, instead of it being retributive, um, how can we change our uh, criminal justice system Mm. to actually rehabilitate people? So instead of putting them to death, we are, um, which the current prison system does nothing to rehabilitate. So we have to, I think, honestly, we have to start um, move, building from the ground up on that completely. But it's, it, we, need to, we need to focus more on, okay, this person did a horrible thing. And so are, are they really a lost cause? Or can we, um, can they, quote unquote, repay their debt to society? And then become an, a, a member of society again. Well, in capital crimes, probably not in a lot. Like not Ted Bundy. Right. Not Ted Bundy, right. But the, he I mean, got out and then he was murdering again. Then he did more murders. <laughs> uh, he did more murder. <laughs> yeah, do you have any, any final points you want to make, Kat? I think we have the wrong conversations about it all. That, you know, you, oh, you deserve this. You did a horrible thing. You deserve That's cool. But like the government sh- shouldn't get to decide. I don't see why we do let them decide um, on a moral level and also just on a, you know, what am I looking, what word am I looking for? Like their track record, like their ability oh, to do this. sure. Like their yeah. Yelp rating. You know? Their stats are really their bad. Stats yeah. are really not great. So like we should fix that first and then we, if we want to work up from there, we work up from there, and but you got to fix it. To the... go back to, you know, also if we had more, more ability to focus on the crimes that are actually crimes that, you know, rather yes. than things like sex work or drug use mm-hmm. or, you know, anything like then, then we, we might be a little further along uh, in making people safer if we didn't have this broken. Oh yeah. That people would focus That's, on all the time. Absolutely true. And a thing that, that I've just learned recently given my new job, which I wish I had known before, but uh Eh, go figure, um, is that New York State actually has a lot of these courts that they call problem-solving courts, which I think is something that could be adapted on a federal level. Obviously not for capital crimes, but um, it's for things like sex work, for drug-related offenses, and for juvenile offenses that it's not for criminal sentencing in the same way, but it's it, the sentences, quote-unquote, are things like Therapy, um, medical treatment, drug treatment, um, rehabilitation-based things, oversight, like checking in with a, a parole officer type, except that it's just you mean somebody that who cares who's checking in on you. Um, right. Well, and they're, like they're, the system now, like the fact yeah, that the system and they're called problem-solving courts. To say that it's about rehabilitation now is so ridiculous. Like, if you just look at sentencing, right, like, you get caught with some drugs, you're in prison for a little bit, but then, like, you get caught again and they send you back for longer. Like, what? Oh, the three strikes so thing? Well I know. Time? 
Mm-hmm. Yay, no. you did it. You fixed them. So yeah. do it again. <laughs> so yeah, do it longer. I mean, it's it's. It, I, I'd like to at least get to a point where at least they quit pretending they give a shit about rehabilitation when it comes. That's to a good point. Yeah. Like- the other thing that I just want to stress before we totally depart from the issue is that there are a lot of secondary issues that in a policy sense have impact on this and that we should focus on to keep people out of involvement with the criminal justice system. And and those are problems like access to justice, which we've touched on a little bit, like uh, racial, ne- racial and economic equality uh, in terms of applying sentences, equal treatment of crimes, which means yep. like domestic violence against women is the same as assault in a regular sense, access to counsel, eliminating cash bail, and then things like public health care to keep people feeling less desperate, access to education to pull people out of circumstances they may have been born into and cycles that they're stuck in, uh, sex education, reproductive rights, mental health care, and minimum wage, which are a lot of smaller partisan issues. But if we want to keep people out of this system um, and keep it from escalating, these are great ways to treat the problem. Um, yeah. So that's my policy plug for, you <laughs> no, know, it's not always great. death penalty related um criminal well it all feeds into each other right and it's like the Mm -hmm. i think that again we talked about this last week but like lowering the ceiling of what the government can do um Mm -hmm. and shifting our perspective um from like uh the kind of system where we can put people to death to a system that actually values human life and sees these people as human beings who yeah exactly um, which is a system-wide problem, but um, you're right. There are things like, um, you know, getting rid of mandatory minimums, uh, getting rid of over-sentencing. There's so much police reform that has to do with this as well. Oh, like gosh, if, we, yeah. if we reform what the police focus on, you know, it would, right. it would affect things at the top level too. So our criminal justice system, this is my summary. Our criminal justice system right now is the Kennedy family just like seeing Rosemary Kennedy, who they fucked up because they held her in the birth canal because the male doctor wasn't there. So they deprived her of oxygen. They impaired her ability to learn. She was fine, but then they're like, you're a blight on the family. We're going to just like send you and put you away and pretend you don't exist. Mm. And then they did worse to her. So that is what our criminal justice system is. (laughs) Just from the beginning to the end, really messed up. Yeah. And we've moved beyond that. We're better than that. Uh, We're trying to be. (laughs) Maybe. All right, uh, Kat. Thanks yeah, so much. So appreciate it. I really appreciate you coming on. Your own. Where can people find you? Like just Twitter at Kat Simph, Instagram at Kentif. I also do the locals thing, cat.locals.com, which is like is I that? post on there, but it's also like if you subscribe, then I post more stuff. I write like things. I get a little more personal on there. Mm, like a Patreon kind of, but like, and then I do live chat. Awesome. Yeah, I do live chats too, like with people, Ooh. like usually about once a week. So uh, you can find me at Brooke Angeline on Instagram and BKE Rogers on Twitter. You can find me on Instagram at MKZ Joy Brennan and on Twitter at Get Me to a Nunnery. I almost forgot. <laughs> Get Me to a Nunnery, and the two is the number two. Um, yeah, and we are, we're so sorry about our last Twitch stream. Um, Oh yeah, we really very kindly sent alternatives to Twitch that we're gonna try to use. We guys, we're not gonna lie to you. Um, we have very, very little technical understanding of most things. Um, in we the, know in, some things. We this know some things. Them. 
So we tried and we failed. <laughs> but we will do a stream very soon. We're going to figure out the best platform to, uh, to do it. We are going to do a stream. Um, and uh, and thank you for being people. patient and bearing with us. Oh, yeah. We, we did get your questions. Um, and all people, all our people, but especially our Patreon people who do get precedence because um, they, they, they give very us kindly money. give us money. They give us money for the right. It's our job now. It's our job. Yeah. But so. we did get your, in fact, I should say off the top, there was one question specifically about removing Marjorie Taylor Greene that uh, Jeff had asked us. And there. Thank you, Jeff. We appreciate it. Long story short is like, it's possible, but not probable. But we'll, we'll get it more on the stream when we we'll do We'll definitely it. get more uh, into yes. it. We really appreciate everybody bearing with us. Um, Thank our you Patreon, so much for your patience. If this advertises our Patreon adequately, um, if you want to give us money to try to figure out the fuck we're doing, it's patreon.com slash exceedingly persuasive. And eventually once we get Twitch up, if that's the platform, it's twitch.tv slash xx persuasive but also yeah, yeah uh, no matter what if you are uh if you are at the third tier of our patreon we are we are doing bonus episodes every month um that we know how to do and we're gonna Woo! do it we can definitely um, do that we're doing one um actually soon we're gonna be putting out a, a bonus episode um but yeah thank you so much for supporting us and thank you for bearing with us and uh we will get this down i promise you we are also are coming up with some new merch mackenzie's designing it now uh but if you no matter who you are if you're listening to us thank you we love you uh i love you talking like a sultry garrison keeler into the mic late at night i, I am this is my hot npr voice all right we uh all right be guys be have safe, a great be week be safe be happy that's don't do a death penalty don't do don't do any crime. Well, do the fun crimes, not the bad. The fun crimes. crimes, not violent crimes. Yes. Okay, bye. bye. <laughs>